that was fantastic. Hello and welcome to Popper's Cage, episode 15. My name is Gabo and with me is Dime Collector. Hello, Dime. Hey, Gabo. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. We have a, a new special guest with us today. Uh, I'd like to present to everyone. Uh, this is John, also known as 8686 on MTGO. John, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor for us to have you here. So, uh, John is a, a famous grinder on MTGO. He, he started with, well, at least I knew of him when... Uh, when we were recording the uh, Red Blue Storm Primer, uh, you might remember, uh, he, he, he was very successful with that deck. But now he's been running Is It Post, and that is going to be the main topic for this show. Uh, John, can you tell us a bit about uh, yourself and how you started uh, with Magic, MTGO, and Popper in general? Sure. Um, I started playing Magic uh, during Earth's Legacy, Um, and I played for a little bit. I picked it up and quit a few times. I played up until somewhere in Invasion Block and then stopped playing for a while, got back into it around Onslaught Lesions, and then stopped again during Kamigawa Block. And recently, within the last few years, I picked it back up. Uh, I got into Shards of Alara was when I started playing again officially, And I've been playing ever since then. I uh, I got into playing Popper on MPGO because it was just it was a cheap format. Uh, it was something that didn't require a lot of investment. And at first, I had the, the misconception that I think a lot of people have with Popper, which is that it's just grizzly bears and doom blades and things like that. But once I got into the the complexity of it, I really started to appreciate the format a lot. And so I, I started playing Storm, and that was pretty much all I played for about a year. And then I, that's, that's where I am now. I, I've been playing Post and Storm back and forth. Oh, cool. I think it's kind of interesting that you started with Storm, which is a deck that can kill on turn two or three. And then you, I think it's a pretty drastic change to move to a deck that wins on turn 103. So can you just talk about what made you change to Cloud Post and how you've been liking it so far? Yeah, sure. Um, so while I was playing Storm, um, I played through several different metagame shifts, and some of them involved the metagame turning into mostly blue decks, primarily Delver and Mono Blue Control. But somewhere around the 10th anniversary queues, I was playing a lot of the eight-player queues and I, there was there was a little while where I was facing nothing but Delver and Mono Blue Control. Like I played a couple, I played a bunch of two two player queues, and literally about ten or twelve of them in a row, I, I was facing just nothing but Delver and Mono Blue. And at that point, that's obviously our worst matchup. And I decided that I wanted to have something else to turn to when the, if that ever happened again. And so I was testing out a lot of different decks. Um, I played mono black control. I tried out mono blue control. I tried um, a little bit of everything. Grixis storm, goblins, um, the familiar storm. And then I tried, I was playing cloud posts for a little while in the tournament practice. 
And I, I like the, I like the matchups a lot, and I was really enjoying the deck itself. Just it, it goes well with my play style, and had a really good matchup against mono blue, the, the mono blue decks in the format, Delver and mono blue control. And so I started playing it in dailies, and I've been having good results with it. And yeah, it's a lot slower, but uh, it has better answers to those kinds of decks, and that's primarily why I switched to it. Cool. You uh, mentioned the tournament practice room. That's actually something I play in as well, but there's some people that uh, I talk to that are also pretty heavy into the dailies, and they don't like the tournament practice room as a way to find games and stuff just due to the people you face on there. And I'm pretty sure we've played each other at some point, I'm sure, on a tournament practice. I actually like it because you get just a feel for how the deck runs if you just focus how it's running on its own. And then also, if you're playing a deck that is just winning constantly, it's usually a pretty good sign. Can you, can you just tell me what your experience in the tournament practice room has been and why you use it? Yeah, um, I agree that it doesn't provide the best result, but I also think that before you before you you have any money on the line, you should probably have a pretty good idea of like all the decisions that you want to make while playing the deck, especially with post, because a lot of your matches will go to time if you don't make quick decisions. And so, getting more familiar with the deck, I think, is pretty important before you start uh, risking your entry fees. That makes sense. Okay, so why don't we go uh, right into the primer now, and we'll start with an overview of what the deck is. So can you tell me uh, uh, kind of a brief summary of how the deck wins and how, how, it, how it tries to function and how it wins, or how it stops from losing, which is a, a big part of this particular deck? Yeah, so not losing is our plan A. Um, so the, the first... The first few turns of the game is just trying to stabilize, developing your mana base. Um, your your goal is to shut down what your opponent is doing. You don't you have to worry about winning later on in the game. And so we have a lot of really defensive spells, like a lot of cheap removal, um, a lot of cantrips and card draw to to find what, exactly what, what we need to try and stabilize. And our the only win conditions that I play in the deck are four mold drifters and a Rolling Thunder, and I guess you can count Capsize, because that is responsible for a lot of game wins, too, even though it doesn't actually win the game. Mm-hmm. And it plays a lot like a like a, a, a Tron deck, in a way, like the, the old extended or modern Tron decks, where you your late game is extremely powerful, and you develop a lot of mana, so you can do a lot of... You can go over the top of what your opponent is doing, if you can survive long enough. Okay, perfect. Um, all right, so that that should uh, explain how how the deck works. Um, so let's let's take a look at some of the components of the deck. We'll start with the lands, since uh, that's actually the namesake uh, of this particular deck. So you've got Cloud Post and Glimmer Post, and as most people should know, Cloud Post is a land that comes into play tapped, and it gives you one colorless mana for every for every locus that's in play. Uh, and you've also got Glimmer Post, which comes into play untapped, it gives you just one mana, but it gains you life equal to every other, well, every locus that's in play. Um, so, so obviously these make, uh, th- th- this, this is a, an important part of the deck because a lot of the spells require lots of mana. Here's an interesting question. Why are the Cloud Post Glimmer Post combination better than the Ursa Lands? 
Um, there's two reasons. One is with the Urza lands, you have to assemble all three of them in order for the, them to be fully charged up. And with CloudPost, you don't need to spend as much time making sure you have the specific lands. Like you don't need to have two cloud posts and, a, and something else in order for them to be to start making large amounts of mana. Mm -hmm. Each each locus that you have uh, automatically starts synergizing with the other ones that you have. So it just makes it a lot more convenient. You don't have to dedicate as much of your deck to finding certain lands. You just naturally start playing them and they start working. The other one is Glimmer Post, and Glimmer Post is of, it's actually, I think, underrated in terms of the synergy between the two. Like, Cloud Post gets a lot of the, the talk about how it's broken or whatever, but I think Glimmer Post is actually a little more broken than Cloud Post is just because it, it provides you free life, and that's one of the biggest things that, one of your resources that gets depleted the, the, in the early game the most. And just playing a land and, you know, gaining three or four life against an aggro deck is a huge swing sometimes. Yeah. That, that's probably why uh, this deck really only became, uh, well, oppressive is probably an exaggeration, but it became popular after Glimmer Post came out. Yeah. Okay, so um, what about some of the uh, some of the mana filtering lands? Like, uh, you've got so some some builds use evolving wilds. Some others might use the the is it Karoo? Uh I can't remember what it's called exactly, but the one that gives you both blue and red mana, and you have to return a land. Um, do you use any of those in your build to to ease up on the on the colored mana? Yes, um, I use evolving wilds, which I've recently since Return to Ravnica came out. I've switched them out for is it Guild Gates. I don't like the is it boiler works in these kinds of decks just because I think it's a little too slow. Um, if you have it in your opening hand, it's really awkward. You play a land on turn one, turn two, you bounce your land and then you can't really do anything for the first couple turns, especially when it's combined with cloud post and those, if you have those two as your only two lands, it's like you're not doing anything until turn four. Okay. Um, I also play one shimmering grotto in my list, oh. which I've really come to appreciate because it acts as like a fourth prophetic prism sometimes, okay. and it, especially with expedition map, I've had several occasions where I I have a plenty of cloud posts and plenty of glimmer posts, but I need to flashback mystical teachings. And it, it came up last night where I just searched for shimmering grotto. And I was behind in the game, and being able to flashback mystical teachings put me right back in it. Okay, so shimmering Gr grotto is the one that gives you one mana of any color if you pay an extra mana, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So that, that's pretty cool. So how many, well, okay, you used to have Evolving Wilds, uh, or, or the other version. And now you've, you've substituted that for Is It Guildgate, uh, which makes sense. Uh, how many of those do you, ha did you put in? Or how, how many of those intertapped lands do you have? Um, I only play two of the Guildgates and, I think more than that might be a little too much. They are a little slow, and some lists some lists only run basic lands or lands that come and play untapped, and I I can see the reason behind that. But I like to have a little more mana fixing, just personally. Okay, so two is is a good balance. Uh, you know, you don't want to have too many of them in your starting hand. You kind of want them to get them once once you've got things going on, uh, so that you, you're starting. You've already got Cloud Post, which comes into play tapped, right? So you don't want to add too much more to that. Yeah, two, is, two has been a good number for me. I I haven't really had any 
um, any bad experiences with just running two. Okay. Okay. So let's move on to uh, something similar, which is mana filtering. So you've got prophetic prism and expedition map as mana filtering. How many of those do you run in your deck, and why are they so important? With prophetic prism, um, in my original list, I was running four, but I found you really don't need them that much, and especially with Shimmering Grotto, um, I replaced the fourth. I took out a land and replaced it with Shimmering Grotto, and then I found that I could cut down on the number of prisms that I play, and that's been working well. Um, with the Expedition Map, I feel like it's a little slow. It's good in some matchups, in your slower ones, like against Control or in the Mirror, but at times you don't really want to be spending three mana just to just to find a land. I mean, it's all about kind of personal preference here, but just uh, having one map has been good for me. Okay. Yeah, I think most builds have just one or two at the most. I haven't seen any that have a lot of those. It's it's like the, the silver bullet to get that land that you're missing that you need, right? Yeah, and another thing with Prism is when I was running four, I would always want to add something to the deck, and every time I would look through my list and, and see what could be cut, I was always looking at the four prisms and saying, do I really need four of these? And it was the card that I most wanted to cut, and usually that's a sign that it can go. Okay. Now, the one thing about Prophetic Prism is that it, it has a synergy with a card that's been used in some, some types of builds, which is uh, Ghostly Flicker. I don't think you use that one in your build, uh, but it's something to think about. Well, I actually do use Flicker. Um, my old list didn't have it, but I've recently—not recently, but I've added it. And do you uh, do you ever use it to bounce your your prism just for to draw a card? Yeah, that's that's likely. Uh, it's one of the most likely targets that we use it on. Okay. Um, if you if you have like a mnemonic wall in play and a prism, generally you just go through the motion of flickering them both over and over again for as much mana as you have. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, let's move on to a different part of the, the composition. Uh, so let's look at p plan A, uh, your, your control, your starting control. So the first thing is your reactive control, which would be your counter spells. Uh, what are the most important counter spells uh, that you have in, in your build? I like Condescend a lot, and that's because once you do sort of stabilize, it kind of locks the game for you. Like, if you can get rid of all your opponent's early threats and then, like, search for a Condescend or just have one in your hand, it makes it so they can't really threaten you too much with anything huge. They have to play, like, smaller stuff to play around it, and it also helps you with more card selection. So... It furthers your late game. It, gets, it lets you dig through your deck a little more, smooth out your draws, and also prevents your opponent from playing anything too scary for you. Um, I also play one Prohibit, which I like a little more than I like other cards of, of that converted mana cost, like Mana Leak or Counterspell, just because for Mana Leak specifically, I think, is pretty bad in this deck. Uh, your Counter Magic isn't really important against like the faster decks in the format. Well, the faster non-combo decks in the format. And so having something late game that's still a live draw and it's, it's still relevant late game is important for me. And with Counterspell, sometimes developing your mana in the early turns is really awkward and being able to have to make double blue is just not an option sometimes. 
Okay. Um, but Condescend, I was thinking, would also be very important in the early game when the opponent doesn't have a lot of mana and you're kind of looking for whatever it is you need to to set up your early game. Usually lands, I imagine, or maybe more counter spells or, or removal. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's it's important both early game and mid to late. Yeah, that's true. I mean, off, most often it's just used as a force spike and your opponent isn't really playing around it. So, yeah, it does work really well early game too. Okay. Okay, so let's... Uh, let's talk about the other aspect of control here, which would be um, removal and burn. Uh, I think Flame Slash is probably one of the most common uh, cards used in, in this deck. Um, how, how important uh, is that particular card and any others that you might use? Flame Slash is the most efficient removal spell in this deck, I think. Um, it's just one mana, four damage to any creature. Mm-hmm. It kills almost every creature in the format. I mean, it doesn't kill, like, Ulamog's Crusher, but, I mean, a lot of burn spells won't. Um, that's that's the, the most common four of I see in these decks is Flame Slash, and for good reason. I play one Lightning Bolt in my list, just because uh, I like the versatility of it. You can search for it with Teachings. There are a few creatures in the format with three toughness, like the, the affinity creature, the white one, I forget what it's called. And I play um, one main deck seismic shutter, which I switched to electricery. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get into that later, but it's it's useful in more than just the storm matchup. It's primarily there for storm, but it's good against uh, stompy, infect, goblins. Um, it has a lot more uses than just that. Yeah. Uh, I play two electrostatic bolt, which... Is, is one of the better removal spells, too, I'd say. Um, second, maybe, to Flame Slash, because it kills a lot of the early creatures. A lot of creatures in the format have two toughness, and it kills all of them, but it's also good against Spire Golem, uh, Razor Golem, uh, the Mirror Enforcer, uh, just all the bigger artifact creatures. Yeah, And I, I assume the one of very important thing about this one is that it's an instant, right? Cause... Yeah. <clears throat> That's another, yeah, that's another one of the big reasons why this is one of the better ones is being an instant is really important. When you're playing with, against Delver or any of the blue decks in the format, sometimes you just want to bait a counterspell on their turn so you can untap and play something big. And this fills that role really well. Okay. Um, I noticed there was a Harvest Pyre in one of the builds that I was looking at. Uh, do you know why, why that would be there? I think it's in your build, actually. Yeah. Why would there be a Harvest Pyre? Yeah, Harvest Pyre, I play as a one of. Um, it is one of. It's there for a couple of reasons. So, for, one, first, what, what does it do? Because that, that one is uh, less well known, even though it's from a recent set. Okay, it's, a, it's an instant that costs one in red, and you exile any number of cards from your graveyard, and it deals that much damage to target creature. Um, I like it because, once again, it's an instant, so if you're playing against like Mono Blue Control, it's important. It can kill a Spire Golem at instant speed. Um, but another thing about it is it's good in the mirror against some of the decks that play Ulamog's Crusher because by the time they get down Crusher, usually you have enough cards in your graveyard that you can just kill it with one removal spell as opposed to, like, burning two flame slashes on it. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty important in the mirror. If if you're being attacked by Ulamog's Crusher, you're in bad shape. Yeah. And the other removal spell I like to talk about is Serrated Arrows. Um, this is one of the all-stars of the deck. Um it's really good against all the aggro decks. Uh, it has a lot of synergy with Capsize and Ghostly Flicker. Um, 
but it's also our decks only out to Gildian of the Guard Pact, mm-hmm. which can be a real problem from White Weenie, mm-hmm. especially if they can get a, a Bone Splitter and equip it with that. It's like a five-turn clock, assuming yeah. you haven't already lost life. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the ways we neutralize that. But another thing that Serrated Arrows is good at is shrinking creatures, like certain creatures that you don't want to kill. Um, the one that comes to mind is Stinkweed Imp and out of the Dredge decks. Yeah. You just bring it to zero power and then keep it in play, and it's actually better. And then Loyal Cathar is another problem card that a lot of times I'll just use one arrow counter on it, make it a 1-1, one, one, and then just, just ignore it and worry about the rest of their creatures. Okay. Um, how, how many arrows is, is good to have? Because they're expensive, right? And yeah, they cost four mana. Um, I only play two. I could see playing more, but I, I've had good good results with two, and I think that's a good number. Uh, none in the sideboard? No, none in the sideboard. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah, and, and those are also pretty good targets for a ghostly flicker, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So let's move on to um, one of the parts that makes this deck uh, good in the late game, and that's its card draw and just general utility cards. Um, you've got things like preordain and ponder for filtering quickly. You've got deep analysis. And you've got a bunch of cards. Uh, perhaps you can go through some of these and, and tell me just how how they synergize with the deck, how how important they are. Sure. Um, I prefer preordain over ponder in this kind of deck, mm-hmm. just because um, you're not. It's not like a combo deck where you're looking for one specific card and it's going to make a huge difference on in the game. Like in this deck, if you see two cards you don't like and one that you do, it, it's it's not as good as in like the storm deck. Like if you're looking for an empty the warrens, and a lot of times the the other two cards that you see off of ponder are just irrelevant because you're going to win the game that turn. So I, I like preordaining this build personally. Um, another card I really like is Compulsive Research, and I see some lists playing Seagate Oracle instead. I like Compulsive because the same reason I like Brainstorm, which is it helps you get rid of dead cards that you don't need, and there's a lot of matchups where you, a lot of the cards in your deck are just dead cards because of the nature of the deck. So if you're drawing three cards, and let's say you let's say you're playing the Mirror, and you have a bunch of removal spells, which are not very good in the mirror. If you play Compulsive and you have dead cards in your hand, you're practically drawing three cards because the cards that you're getting rid of weren't useful in the first place. And if you, if you play Seagate Oracle in that slot, the body, the body can sometimes be relevant against like the aggro decks and stuff, but I'd, I'd prefer to just have more card selection and just find the answers that I want. I, I guess the uh, the deck is already pretty good against uh, aggro decks, right? So it's better to strengthen it more against something like the mirror match. Right. Okay. And then a lot, another thing that I see a lot of lists running is um, is deep analysis. And deep analysis, it's a great card, but I it costs four mana, which is more is a lot more than three in this deck. Like at four mana, you you can be you can be casting mystical teachings, you can be putting down a serrated arrows, and a lot of times I'd rather be casting mystical teachings just to you know find specific answers that I want at that converted mana cost. Um, and ghostly flicker I guess counts as a draw spell too. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times that's what it's used for. Um, I have a question about ghostly. Uh, no, sorry, mystical teachings. Question about mystical teachings. Um, I noticed that most decks don't actually run like four off. They they just run a couple 
Uh, I would, since this is the one that searches for a lot of silver bullets, I would have thought you you would want to have uh, more redundancy. Do you know why? Um, why in general the deck has a lot of like one ofs and two ofs of this these kinds of cards? I think it's because um, as, as far as targets go for mystical teachings, what you can search for with it, there's not a there's not that many cards you can get with it. So if you have multiple copies of it later in the game, you're not going to be like sometimes you'll just run out of targets to to find with it, and that's not really what where you want to be. Okay. Okay, and I, I I assume that it just trusts that it's it's gonna draw into most of its cards through the card draw and through the fact that it it goes into the long game quite easily, uh, and that's why it can it can have this kind of structure where there's a lot of just one ofs and two ofs, even if you can't search them with the mystical teachings. Yeah, I mean, with you have condescend, which helps you scry. You have preordain and compulsive. Another thing about teachings is usually by the time you're casting teachings, you're probably getting a spell that's going to turn the game around pretty quickly anyway. Like you're getting either capsize or ghostly flicker to to start doing some powerful things with it. So a lot of times having multiples of it aren't that important because by the time you get to it, it's going to ch- it's going to turn the game around. Yeah. And you can always use it twice, right? True, yeah. yeah. Okay, what about, um, I see a lot of decks that have just one copy of Mysteries of the Deep. So it, if you play the land, you draw three cards, otherwise you draw two. Right. Um, I see a lot of decks that have one of those in, in it. Uh, do you know why this would be? I don't think yours has. Um, yeah. Oh, I yeah, there it is. Play, I used to play this card as a one-off in my list, too. But the reason it's there is because a lot of times when you get into attrition battles with, with decks like Mono Black Control or the, the grindier decks in the format, you want to be able to mystical teachings for a card that will help you refill your hand. And that, it's really good at doing that. Um, but I replaced it when I added Ghostly Flicker, that Mysteries of the Deep is what I cut for it because Ghostly, Flick, Ghostly Flicker, uh, it fills a similar role. When you have, by the time you want that, generally you have a prism or two or a mole drifter or something that will draw you cards. And so this fills a similar role that uh, Mysteries of the Deep filled and for less mana too. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, but that, that I didn't know. That's, that's good to know. So how do you figure out the ratio of draw spells, removal spells, and counters? Because I noticed you have a wide diversity of removal. And then I think with your counter spells, you have just three one split, right? Yeah. Of condescend prohibit. And so how did you come about figuring out how many of each spell you wanted? Did you start with some lists off the internet and then start to tweak it based on matchups or what was your process with that? Um, so when I started with the deck, I looked at several different lists and tried to see what I liked from them and what they all had in common. And I came to, I was playing a little more counter magic at first, but there are a lot of matchups where I just don't like to have that much counter magic in my deck. Um, it it kind of depends on what metagame you're expecting to face. If you if you think you're going to play against a lot of combo and control, then you probably want more counter magic than I run in my list. But then it hurts your aggro matchups a lot. I think the only way to really come up with the perfect ratio for your deck specifically is to just play the deck a lot and and figure out what works and what doesn't. And there's, I don't know, there's no perfect ratio for it. You need a lot of card draw because that's what's going to, that's kind of what this deck, um, how it goes over the top of other decks is just by 
always having more gas. Like it, it almost never runs out of gas because you're, you're going through your deck so much. You have a lot of mana and spending it to get more cards just means that you have more answers and more things to do. So it sounds like um, for you it's really important to ha- keep in mind what you're going to be facing. So do you feel like it's better to have a main deck that's specifically tuned to beat maybe like a couple decks in game one? Or do you find that you want to have like a very versatile main deck and then have your sideboard help you out for the game two and game three? Um, I lean towards having more versatility just because um, the, the metagame is really diverse and like – in this format, metagame shifts aren't as dramatic as they are in some other formats because it's kind of like Legacy where people play the deck that they are familiar with and the deck that they like playing, and it's less about, like, what's the new deck or what's the new tech for this week and, and all that. I mean, there are shifts in the metagame, and you can adjust your deck according to it, but in the end, you're still going to face every single deck once in a while. So I think having a, a main deck that's just good against... A, a more wide, wide range of decks is probably better, and having you can narrow down what you want to beat in your sideboard. So, John, I've actually been playing your your list. I've been helping out some people in my clan with testing, and they they want to test against posts. So, I was looking for like a really good list online, and I've been playing yours. It's I really like it. It's pretty cool. Awesome. I'm glad to hear good feedback. So far, I've only faced uh, against White Weenie, so it hasn't been the best sample size to get, you know get a good feel for. It, but it, and I'm sure we'll talk about your sideboard too. Like bringing in Arc Lightning is just ridiculous. Yeah, it's we have a really good White Weenie matchup with this list. I'm kind of in the camp too, where I feel like Mold Drifters and Rolling Thunders and just having way more card advantage in the late game is pretty sufficient in beating people. But uh, I did uh, some videos on posts for MTGO Academy, and people were like, you need Ulamog's Crusher, you need more win conditions, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, I'm just not convinced that that's true. I could see Crusher being good in some matchups, but I don't know that he's uh, just the go-to guy because he can be taken out uh, pretty quickly in some games. Yeah, I played Crusher in my list at first, and I didn't like it at all. It it's situational. Like sometimes you spend your whole turn casting it, and then they just journey to nowhere and like attack you for lethal anyway. And it's yeah. Plus, um, since we have mnemonic wall, we actually have like two virtual copies of Rolling Thunder if we need it. So that's another reason why right. I, I just don't really care about having Crusher. Okay. Well, I, I was going to ask you about about those uh, as the finisher silver bullets, but I think you've answered most of the stuff. All right, we were getting on to discuss the utility creatures that are in Izzet Post. Um, and I think the, the, the most important one is Maul Drifter. So you, you have four of those, right, in your deck? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, like how, wh- why is this su- such a good creature? Why does it work so well in, in Post? Um, as, okay, like New Plan said in a, an earlier episode, um, Izzet Post is the best Maul Drifter deck in the format. Because it has access to so much mana, um, Muldrifter is exactly the kind of creature that this deck needs. Um, it lets, because when you cast it, it lets you stabilize, like, it'll trade with a lot of creatures in combat, and it just draws you into more answers. Uh, it lets you have even more utility with your ghostly flickers and your cap sizes, and it's just, it's like one of the best top decks you can have mid to late game. 
I just oh, got to say, yeah. I like this guy. He listens to some of our past episodes. That's so really yeah, that's nice uh, to hear. That's nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's been doing his homework. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Yay. Go us. <laughs> okay. So um, what about, well, you already told us that you don't like Seagate Oracle so much. And I, uh, I mean, it, uh, I guess it's because it, it takes up the same three three casting cost slot as, um, what was it? Compulsive Research. Uh and you mentioned mnemonic wall. So do you prefer mnemonic wall over Archeomancer? Yes, absolutely. And I prefer it over Is It Cronarch too. No, oh, okay. Uh, you want to tell Dime Collector why? Because he he didn't listen to me. He likes Archeomancer. Um. So the main reason why is because um the the only reason that Archeomancer or Is It Cronarch would be better than mnemonic wall is well for Archeomancer it's because it costs less, but Another thing about it is it can trade with other creatures in combat, but with Mnemonic Wall, or with that type of creature, um, I never want to trade with any other creatures with it. I want to keep it in play because it lets you, later in the game, you want to use it with Ghostly Flicker or Capsize, and oftentimes I'll just not block creatures with it, even though, even just like risking a removal spell or a pump spell, it's just too valuable. And the one mana isn't really much of an issue, um, we don't have a whole lot of five drops. It's just Moldrifter and Monarch Wall, so that's not too much of an issue. I could see a case being made for the cheaper one. I could see the case being made for it, but personally, I like the wall a lot. Um, it's and it does block. If you're in a pinch, it'll block. You know, a lot of the two and three tough three power creatures in the format really well. All right. Well, here's the thing. Both of these cards, there's not one that's so immensely better than the other that it's completely definitive. And like any deck, people are going to have their preferences. But um, I've played versions with both of these cards. I don't know, John, how much you actually tried Archaeomancer, but they're going to be better for you for different reasons. And I think what everyone is over, everyone in this Skype call is overlooking about Archaeomancer is the point in time where it'll be better for you than Mnemonic Wall. So Mnemonic Wall is an 04 that's going to block everything that swings for three or less which honestly is not relevant a lot of the time because any creature decks that only swing for three or less, you're just going to be like mono black. You don't really care. There will be some instances, yes, where Mnemonic Wall can help you, but um, Mnemonic Wall and Archaeomancer are both really good when you're kind of like trying to get ahead or you're already ahead. Right, those are. It, it's just going to be good, but you're already ahead, so it's not that big of a deal. The places where our Chaomancer is going to be better for you is when you really need to get out of a situation, when you need to have the extra mana, when you need to have a blocker and a removal spell all in the same turn, and in matchups where it doesn't matter that it's a blocker, when you're playing against other mirror matches or whatever. You need to have more mana so that you can protect yourself against a capsize or win a counter war or whatever you want to do. And so I think Archaeomancer is better in those instances, especially if you play it enough. And that's why I like it more. I don't really care that it can't block as well or it's only going to trade with the creature or whatever because a lot of times what you want to do is use Flicker to protect your Flicker guy. And you can do that with Mnemonic Wall as well. So, like I said, both cards are, are pretty comparable, but there's no reason to throw Archaeomancer out the window because it's very good in spots where you, you in unconventional spots where you might not think about needing it because Cloudpost is usually, like, ahead by 
such a landslide already. But with the points where it's not and it's actually desperate, I think our KMS is going to be better. You do make a very good point. Uh, what do you think, John? Um, I do agree. Um, I I do agree with the fact that there are times when Archimancer is going to be better, but there's also there are some situations where having the blocker is important against some of those decks, like Mono Black Control or Delver specifically, because the the big two ones that I think about when I think about needing to block a creature are like Okiba Gang Shinobi or Ninja of the Deep Hours, and yeah, they're gonna hit you with it once. Maybe maybe not with the black deck, but they can fly over with a fairy or whatever ninjutsu. But then if you have the wall in play, then it just blanks their ninja for the rest of the game. And another thing about um, another reason why I like the wall a little more is because it dodges more removal, and that might not be that important because it's just a defensive creature anyway, but being able to like kill it with a burn spell or like a a disfigure or something can be pretty damaging. Like like I said, I like to have it in play for the whole game just because it's it's so valuable late game. Okay, well I think I'm not sure if, if there is one definitive answer or if it's a question of preference. Here, it, you'd probably have to like do a really thorough analysis of every single time where one has been better than the other. It it doesn't sound to me like it's it's that cut and clear which one is the better one. So I think that for now we'll have to leave it at that at the the fact that you have options and you can go one way or another uh, depending on 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 how you feel if if you know you're deciding to play this game uh, to play this deck. Yeah, the, uh, the, I agree. And there's one more thing I like to say about it, which is regardless of which one you choose, I do think that the better post builds will have one of these type of effects in their deck at least because I I underrated it at first, having the wall or having Archimancer or whatever, but it is a very good card in this deck. I think it's really strong. Yep, just, just being able to get back that important sorcery or instant. And it works really well with Ghostly Flicker, of course. Okay, so the, the last uh, the last creature I want to talk about is Steam Core Weird. It's a 1-3 that costs uh, 3 and a blue, and if you pay red mana as part of its casting cost, it will deal 2 damage to a, a creature player. Um, so you, you don't use this one in your build. Uh, can you tell us why you don't use it, but why other builds use it? Because it, it seems like a really good, uh, efficient creature in, in this deck. Yeah, um, the main reason why I don't use it is because it's competing with Serrated Arrows as the four-drop um, removal spell, and I really like Serrated Arrows a lot. Um, if I were to run, if I had more room for a four-mana removal spell, I'd probably just play more Serrated Arrows instead. Um, having the body to block or or to trade with other creatures can be important, but I think it's less important than just having more efficient removal, like. If you if you disregard the body on Steam Core Weird, it's just a shock, and I just think that's just a lot of times not good enough. Um, another thing is this deck dodges opposing removal really well. Like we only play five creatures in my build at least, and that's something that has come into play a lot, which is just like especially with Ghostly Flicker and Capsize and, and all that. Sometimes you'll be tempted to target your own creature, and then they can blow you out with a removal spell. And the same goes for Steam Core Weird. It's kind of the same issue with that I have with uh, Seagate Oracle, which is just being as immune to removal as possible and getting playing more efficient spells in, in their place. 
Okay, I, I, I see. I see your point, and also um, it sounds to me like serrated arrows. Um, you can distribute those counters among, say, three three different creatures. So I, I'm guessing that makes a that makes a difference, and it's probably better against certain matchups like white weenie and fairies, where there's a number of smaller creatures as opposed to one slightly bigger one. Yeah, but it, it's also good against things like Spire Golem. If you like, if you have a Mold Drifter in play, you can just put one counter on their Spire Golem, and then it's you kind of negate their whole attack that right there. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. So you can you have more room to play with it to to kind of use it strategically. Okay. Uh, well, maybe that's why it's it. I've seen it less. I've seen the Steam Core Weird uh, less in in decks. Another thing about Steam Core Weird is since you have to pay red when you're casting it to get the effect, it doesn't work with Ghostly Flicker, and that's a big issue for me, too. Mm, yeah, true. Okay. Okay, well, let's move on to the, the big guns of the deck, and that would be the finishers and what I call uh, silver bullets. Uh, we've got Rolling Thunder and Capsize, and you've already mentioned how, how those work. Uh, and you've also got Ulamog's Crusher, which you, you say you, you don't like to use that in, in your build. So why, what are the deficiencies of, of this card? Because I've seen it be very, very effective. Yeah, Ulamog's Crusher is pretty widely adopted in post decks. Um, I've seen some lists that don't want it, but most do. Um, I don't like it personally because it's another creature that dies to removal. It dies to um, a lot of the spells in the mono black deck during the nowhere, for example. And a lot of time you'll spend your entire turn casting it, and then they'll just spend two mana to kill it, and it ha- you haven't advanced your board at all. And it's just clunky. In a lot of matchups, it's not good. It's not fast enough. If you have it in your opening hand, it's you don't want to see it there. So um, I found that having Rolling Thunder and Mold Drifters and Monic Wall, which functions as a second copy of Rolling Thunder late game if you need it, has been more than enough. And also Capsize, even though it doesn't win you the game, it can function as a win condition because when you start bouncing all your opponent's permanents, they can't really do anything about it, and a lot of times they'll just concede. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the wise opponent will let you go ahead and do it and then try and win for time. Yeah, that's true, but, I mean, you can still you can Capsize multiple times quickly and... A lot of times people just get fed up and won't want to play it out. Yeah. And the Rolling Thunder can also be used to stabilize a, a board, right? When you're losing, you just stabilize the board first uh, and then return it to your hand eventually with the mnemonic wall, and then you win, right? I yeah. assume that's that's uh, that's something that, that happens often. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I like Thunder a lot over Ulamox Crusher is because it's still it's still a good spell to have in your opening hand. Like, you can just set up a turn where you're going to wrath your opponent's board with it, not worrying about the fact that it's one of your only win conditions because you'll just get it back later. Is having one or even two Rolling Thunders enough? Because I think most decks just have one. I see your build has two. Um, That's probably an outdated oh, list okay. of mine. But at one point I was playing two. That was before I added Mnemonic Wall to my list because the wall just functions as the second copy as well as a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. So you just have one, the one. Yeah. Yep. And but aren't you afraid you might not draw into it? Well, if I don't draw into it, that means I'm I'm gonna die because <laughs> eventually the game. If the game goes long enough, you're gonna find it. You okay. have a lot of card draw too, so it's usually not a problem. Okay. All right. 
Okay, well, I think that's about it for uh, composition. Uh, do you have any questions you want to ask at this point, Dime? Sure. All right, John. I'm not, I'm not even going to sugarcoat these questions. This is hardball now. Is Blue Red Post the best deck in Classic Popper? Um, I'm not sure that there is a best deck in, in Popper. Um, if there is, I'm not sure that Post is the best deck. Uh, it's hard to say because this deck does have some bad matchups, but I think that's true for all of the Popper decks. I don't think anything can just beat the entire metagame. But I do think that Blue Red is probably the best, the best version of Cloud Post decks. Okay. If I had to pick a, a best deck in Popper, I think I would go with Storm, just as like a general best deck. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Though yeah. the, the most I've heard actually is is Delver, Delver, the aggro Delver, that seems to have uh, the, the biggest uh, popularity. I guess the, the, that, that's what most people favor as the best deck in Popper because it it can theoretically handle any matchup. I think that might be starting to change slightly, like the past month or two. And the thing about Storm is that, as far as I can tell, it has that potential to just win against all the odds. Even if there's hate or a bad matchup, it still has that capability to just pull out wins really quickly. So I, I could definitely see that. Why do you say that Blue-Red is the best incarnation? It's obviously the most popular and stuff. I'm just... Curious to get your take on uh, why blue-red as opposed to the other color combos. Well, I think blue-red has the most uh, diverse uh, answers available. Uh, It has the best removal, in my opinion. Well, it has the best removal in some matchups. Like, Flame Flash is just a lot better than a lot of the one-drop black removal spells. And it it kind of depends on the metagame, because if if you're facing a lot of decks like Infect or a lot of combo, then I have seen a lot of like really good blue-black versions of posts that fight those decks better, but then you can kind of lose a lot from losing out on the, the red removal and the, the sideboard cards too. So I just think this deck has a better matchup versus the variety of popper decks. Okay. Well, um, at this point, I'd, I'd like to go on to a couple of other uh, sections about uh, kind of the general overview of the deck. Um, what would you say are the strengths and weaknesses of the deck? So the strengths of the deck are, for one, it has inevitability, um, which a lot of the really uh, dedicated control decks, that's one of their biggest strengths. Is Once you get to the late game, you're once you get to that point, you're most likely going to win the game because you just have so much that you can do that when other decks are running out of gas, it's just when you are reaching your full potential. And it also has just like really effective answers and really efficient um, spells that you can play early that defend you. And it has the best answers to a lot of, of cards. And I think that's, that's one of its strengths. It has natural defenses like, Glimmer Post and Mole Drifter and all these cards that just help you stabilize naturally fit in the deck and go with its game plan so well that it can overwhelm the the, the slower decks. Or not the slower decks, but the faster ones, actually. Mm-hmm. And the weaknesses of the deck, um, one of the bigger ones is probably the mana base because a lot of times you're going to stumble on mana for the first couple turns. Like having the Cloud Post to come into play tapped or being vulnerable to land destruction, um, being a little slow against aggro, like really aggressive aggro decks. Sometimes you can't stabilize, and those decks just run you over. 
Uh, it's vulnerable to Grixis Storm and to some extent the Blue Red Storm as well because we have a lot of dead cards against them, at least in the main deck. Um, and just the fact that it's the slowest deck in the format is one of its drawbacks. Yeah. And one of the one of the weaknesses, I wouldn't say it's a weakness of the deck, but it's a weakness uh, that will deter some people from wanting to play it, is the mirror. Um, I've known a lot of people that picked up the deck and then liked it, and then they faced the mirror match a few times and just completely quit playing it because it's it's really miserable to play at first. Once you get used to it, though, it's not as bad. Okay. I'll be asking you some some things about how to play the mirror because I think that is one of the most uh, intense and skill-intensive matchups, probably. Um, okay, uh, let's let me ask you now uh, just uh, some basic basic things about uh, your starting hand and mulliganing because that that's usually uh, an important skill to to have or, or important information to know. Um, what kind of what kind of a starting hand do you want to see when you're playing an aggro deck? You know, like a, a white weenie, a goblins, maybe a stompy. What kind of a hand do you want to see uh, first? What's your ideal hand there? Um, so the ideal hand against an aggro deck would be something like cloud post, two glimmer posts, a prophetic prism, uh, a removal spell, preferably like a flame slash, maybe a serrated arrows, and a mole drifter. Okay, so so you don't care about uh, counter spells against aggro. Uh, no, not at all. Yeah, you just want your 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 life gain. You want to get lots of mana as quickly as possible, and then start with the card draw. And uh, I guess the mob drifter also will be a blocker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how about against control? So I guess in control that would be something like. Mono blue control, or the mirror match, or maybe even uh, mono black control. What what kind of hand do you want there? Do you, I guess you want some counter spells there, right? Yeah. Um, another important thing against the slower decks, the control decks, is you want to get to as much mana as you can as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So the ideal hand there would would have like multiple cloud posts, uh, a prophetic prism. The the ideal hands always feature like a cloud post and a prism because that's one of your best starts. Is just like cloud post into locust into prism, and then from there you have like five mana on turn three or something like that. Yeah. Um, I probably still want a mole drifter just because it's always good to have at some point, and then maybe like a condescend and a mystical teachings. Okay. Yeah. And um, okay. Well, I'm. I was going to ask you about combo, but really, combo is is storm. So well, I'll ask yeah. you about that one when we get to that matchup. Okay. okay. And um, so about mulliganing. Um, what's what's your your threshold? What what hands make you think? Hmm. Should I mulligan this or not? What kind of hands do you remember uh, thinking? You know, this is. This is good. This is bad, and then regretting keeping keeping a hand or regretting uh, shipping it. Um, I'm the kind of person that is more inclined to keep riskier hands. So I have like a, a wider range of hands I'll keep uh, as opposed to some other people. But some of the some of the hands you want to throw back are maybe against aggro decks. If you have like a lot of your top end cards, like your more expensive stuff, you probably want to throw it back. Like if you have like you know, teachings and rolling thunder and just a bunch of late game cards. It's probably not going to be fast enough. Uh, against combo, it all, it all really depends on what you face because this deck is just really reactive. So you want to know what you're playing against and before you decide what hands to keep. But against combo, you want to 
throwback hands that have like a lot of removal because it's just all going to be dead. Mm -hmm. If you have like multiple removal spells, you don't want to keep it. Same, same goes for control. You don't want a whole lot of removal spells there. Unless you're playing against like mono blue control, it's fine. Um, any hands that don't have enough lands, obviously, like ideally you want like two or three lands just to start off with and some card draw to find you more. Um, about that, so um, let's say you have a, a hand that has an island and a mountain uh, and a mix of removal and counter spells, but no card draw. Would you keep that? Um, it kind of depends on what I'm playing against and what the actual hand is. It's oh, hard okay. to say. Oh, okay. I think against aggro decks, if I had a removal and both my colors, I'd probably be inclined to keep it, even though it might be wrong. Because the thing is with that hand is you have a lot of good draws. Like, if you draw lands, it's good. If you draw card spells, it's good. Um, so you don't have a, you're more likely to, to draw into something that makes that hand better. Okay. Another issue with this deck is, um, if you have hands with a certain color, a lot of, of one color card, but not that color mana, like, sometimes your mana will be off. Like, if you don't have the, the proper fixing, I'd probably throw it back. Like, a handful of blue cards and no blue mana, obviously, is not gonna work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, as far as the the primer goes, I think we'll stop now. Do you have any additional questions, Dime? Um, I could ask one or two more if we have time. <clears throat> we can also do it next time as well. Uh, if they're not matchup specific, go ahead. Okay. So I have, this is more of like a personal question because I I play a lot of decks in Popper, and I try out a lot of different things, and I historically don't have the best track record playing control decks, and I haven't been able to pinpoint the exact reason. I just I just seem to do better when I'm more proactive. So what I'm wondering is, do you feel like this deck is tailored more for specific types of players, or is it just a good enough deck that anyone who's good at the game, if they practice with it long enough, they'll be able to do well? Like, if I just kept jamming blue-red post games, would I eventually just start 4-0-ing with it, or is it not that kind of deck? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. It, I, it's hard to say for me because I have always gravitated towards this kind of deck, so maybe I'm just maybe it's just the deck that I like to play. But I think one thing that could help improve your control game playing playing control decks is playing the other side of it like i like to test all my matchups from both sides and so then you get a better feel for what cards you're worried about what cards you can allow um that sort of thing but as for anyone picking up the deck you know i'm not really sure yeah i'm i'm actually of the mind that uh if you don't like a, t a style of a deck you're never really going to be able to play it at 100%. Like, you really have to like that type of deck. So, for example, I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of slow control decks like this one. So I can try it, and I can I can be relatively successful, but I'll never be as successful as, as with other decks or as successful as someone who does enjoy uh, that style of deck. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helps if you like to stabilize at one life and then, like, win the game from there because if you're used to playing that sort of game then you kn you have like a feel for your threshold of like how how far you can go yeah anything else then well you mentioned is it Guildgate and electricery i just wanted to know are there any other return to ravnica additions that you've considered or added and if not how have those two cards been working out for you um as for now i haven't really considered any other additions from Return to Ravnica. There haven't been any that really caught my eye. 
but is it Guildgate is a pretty big upgrade for evolving wilds in this deck, at least for my version. Um, I could see I could see an argument for keeping evolving wilds in like say a version that still runs Mysteries of the Deep, because you know sometimes you want to get landfall on your opponent's turn and cast Mysteries, but that's not a huge argument. So I think the Guildgate is a good addition. Um, Electricery is one that has a lot of hype. Um, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but I already board in Seismic Shutter in a lot of matchups, and I imagine this will have a lot more applications that it's just going to be a strict upgrade. Like, for example, uh, Delver decks. Um, traditionally, I've boarded out Seismic Shutter against them, but I imagine that Electric Fury will be pretty good. Like, if it kills all their fairies and unflipped Delvers, and the fact that it's a one-mana re- removal spell when you need it to be, it just makes it a lot more versatile. Yeah, I think we can revisit this question uh, in the next the next part. Definitely. Okay. And last question. So I don't know if you noticed, you guys noticed this, but there was a week or maybe two weeks where Cloud Blue Red Post was just flooding all the daily events. Not all of them, but there would be one or two where it was the vast majority. And I think that's changed a little bit. And I guess my question is. Do you think that the metagame is shifting to try and hate out post more at certain times? Has this happened in the past, or do you think it might happen in the future as well? Yes. Um, I do think I, I, I was around, I was playing dailies when Is It Post was pretty much everywhere. Um, I played a few dailies where I faced three mirrors in a row, or sometimes even four, and it's it's just ridiculous, but yeah, the metagame tends to bounce back, and I've seen a lot of Grixis Storm popping up, a lot of Infect, like a lot of Stompy decks, just decks that prey on the the slow nature of this deck, and yeah, I could see that happening, um, but I don't think it lasts too long, because any time that the metagame shifts, it's the whole rock, paper, scissors thing, when there's decks that people are playing just to beat a certain deck, then they become weak to other strategies. So eventually I think the, the cycle will complete itself. And right now, deck, the, the Is It Post seems to be losing some popularity again. And I've actually seen a lot of blue-black versions popping up. And I think that's probably a response to those decks that are trying to beat Post. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Okay, so that was the last of your questions, Dan? Yes, sir. All right. Okay, so we're going to finish off this primer uh, in the next episode where we'll get on to the matchups. Uh, for now, we're just going to uh, wrap it up. Um, I do have an announcement to make, and that is that uh, I will have to take a, a temporary break from podcasting. Um, you know, life at home and at work has been getting increasingly uh, you know, more demanding. So, uh, Dime, uh, you have plans to perhaps take on the reins of the podcast and continue it uh, in, in your own style? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm definitely going to stick to this format we've got in terms of covering these decks. So it's not going to be too different or anything. I'm just going to do my best to keep it going and have some good guests on and definitely will fix my internet issues down here in LA before <laughs> doing any episodes or whatever. Yeah. But that, yeah. I, I keep the show going. That sounds great. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll still be updating the, the blog and the Twitter feed when I can. Uh, and we'll see how, how we can go along and hopefully 
uh, I can get back to, uh, you know, actually participating in the show and editing and whatever's needed, uh, probably next year, uh, maybe, um, after the first quarter. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, but yeah. So next episode, uh, I will be, I will still be here. We'll finish off this primer. And then after that, it'll be all up to dying. Um, so, uh, let's let's wrap this thing up. Dying, uh, can you tell us how to reach you, your clan, everything all about you? Absolutely. First, I just want to give a big thanks to both of you guys. And thank you, John, for coming on the show. It's going to be really cool to have you on for the matchups as well. If anyone wants to get a hold of me, you can check out my YouTube videos, youtube.com slash dimecollectorsc. You can also follow me on Twitter at dimecollectorsc. You can uh, contact me on MTGO. My ID is Bamboo Rush, and I run the clan Popper Gnomes. So if you'd like to join, we're just a bunch of uh, Popper players, and we have a couple people also doing some of the other formats as well. Uh, it's a very friendly environment. Please join. Um, and then lastly, you can check out my articles at mtgoacademy.com. The series is Dime a Dozen. My name is Jason Moore on there, and uh, I've got a lot of videos and articles you can check out. Sounds cool. Um, do you want to uh, tell the listeners how to reach you, uh, John? It, like maybe on MTGO or if you have any other any publications or anything? Um, yeah, you can just reach me on Moto. My screen, my username is eight six eight six, all spelled out. Okay, cool. And as for me, you can find me personally on MTGO and Twitter as Gabo Cheeto. Um, I also have a clan. It's Popper Crew, and I've recently been given uh, a few administrative responsibilities. So if you want to join, you can actually contact me personally and I can see to uh, adding you to the clan. Uh, it's a very organized clan and we also uh, do a lot of uh, internal um, leagues and stuff and participate in the PDC Magic tournaments and all the alternative formats like Silverback, Silver Black and Heirloom and all that stuff. Um, and in general, you can contact the show by writing to popperscage at gmail.com or by leaving a comment on our blog at popperscage.blogspot.ca. Uh, that's our official website, uh, by the way. You can find written primers and uh, a whole bunch of articles, including uh, a written primer for this deck, for Is It Post, and all the other primers that we've done in this podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Popper's Cage. And as I said, I'll be tweeting uh, all the updates that I can about anything related to Popper. Uh, and you can, you can talk to us through that as well. And I think that is all for this episode. Uh, I want to really thank you, um, John, for participating. Uh, it's been great having you on. And we're looking forward to having you on the next episode to finish off this primer. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. And thank you, Dime. Thank you. And thank you to everybody listening. We'll check you out on episode 16. Yeah. So, Man, we're getting old. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, listeners. And till next time.
Who's that? Who's that on the line? Hey, Hello? guys. Hey, well, it's Love. <laughs> How are you doing, well, Love? I'm doing just fine. I just can't stay for too long. Oh, that's um, just just your presence will will increase this podcast's quality by by a few notches. I had a, I had just I was going to join, but then a friend called me and said he wanted to come by because it's my birthday. So okay, well, happy birthday! It's your birthday. Happy yeah. birthday, man! Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Well, since you're since you're in, why don't we just this, uh, this momentous occasion. Why don't we do a little bit more podcasting and uh, and you can you can you know ask ask questions you know yeah with, the usual make uh, put put John in the spotlight you know <laughs> with some really sure, well, jarring questions. John uh, loves Cruel Ultimatum and played the deck from it was legal in standard to when he wrote it out of standard. And it's a very good card, and I like the card as well. But when you cube together with John and use a screen capture program or something, you can cube a deck for like five, six picks or even more. And then you get a pack. Let's say we're drafting something like uh aggro deck. We could, we could get a good five-color control deck or – no, wait. Hmm. What, what, what were we drafting, John? We drafted something like a ramp deck, a green ramp deck that I forced you into. And then on the sixth pick – you see a cruel ultimatum, and then you say, like, sorry, dude, I just got her, and he picks the cruel ultimatum. <laughs> Without question. The same thing with Nico Bolas. He can have any deck in queue. If cruel ultimatum comes, he just picks it, and then builds the deck around it. Every time. And I was sitting like, no, we had such a good deck. Why'd you do this to me? Pretty much. So he loves yeah. cruel ultimatum way too much. It's true. You should always just build around Cruel Tomatum, whether you have it or not. I usually do. I, that's usually my strategy going into the draft, but Louv tries to convince me to, to draft good decks, and I don't like to do that. And I'm failing miserably on my own. <laughs> did you, did you uh, do some cubing this, this round, Louv? Because uh, yes. I think it was better than when Onslaught was was the, the pack prizes. Because this time at least you could reuse your winnings to play some more. Well, the biggest problem with was that the cube ticks were uh, uh, are untradeable, uh, so uh, you but, should be able to trade them. But that's what you would use to just play more, right? So you could play a little bit. Yeah, but for example, me and I have eight cube tickets up. John has like four, or two, and we could like he could send me his records and mine to him, and we could draft again. Okay, we well, well, make. The- don't worry, they'll be reusable when when the yeah I know I know they'll be reusable, but I mean if they made them tradable, I honestly think that it would fix a lot of problem about compl- people complaining about the about the um, cube drafts being very low expected value. Yeah, well actually I don't think it'll it'll increase the expected value much because I think if they become tradable, um, the the market will will define <laughs> just how valuable they are and yeah, and I, I think it's. I think it was settled on around 0.5-ish for yeah. each cube ticket. Maybe. It depends on how many people start drafting just one single cube and then have cube tickets left over. And then if there's a lot of supply, they're going to go down. Yeah, true. But that's that's true for everything. Yeah. Anyhow, well, uh, cubing this time around was fun. I didn't cube much because I was on an extreme, extreme shortage of extreme shortage of fund as usual but i watched uh, john set fire to a lot of tickets cubing <laughs> <laughs> oh talking about funds uh i heard you you were able to sell off some invasion cards yeah i i sold uh i sold my invasion cards i um, i pretty much got tired of having them uh 
because and I felt like the market had has pretty much stabilized. Yeah, yeah it could be it has. Yeah, it's, it felt, it's stabilized. I, I felt like when when Prohibit was up to like like three point three, three point four, and then it dropped again. Mm-hmm. I felt like dropped to like two point nine. I think it is yeah. right now. I, yeah. I thought it was time to sell, mm-hmm. uh, and I also realized that I probably won't be making any more investments as time goes on because actually getting rid of the cards you bought are pretty difficult. Oh really? Yeah, I felt like I, I felt like that. I mean, selling a playset of like Crimson Aculite or Standard Bearer is not that easy unless you go to a bot and they severely underpay. Well, uh, there, there's there's a couple of bots that give you pretty good pricing on those, and right. they're they're usually looking for cards. Yeah, and I also felt like I, I had time at the computer, so I could just have the computer on while programming, and I saw if uh, Modo blinked. And I sold like I sold the prohibits for like I sold I actually sold the four prohibits for twelve, so three each. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, and then I sold the sulfur vents for two and a half each, so ten for those. Perfect. And yeah, I sold yeah I, grand total. I sold like all of my leftovers except some ancient springs, and I got forty tickets. Nice, nice. And uh, then I have like a playset prohibit, a playset of all the Grixis stormlands, like the invasion sacklands, and I got four standard bearer and four crimson acolyte if I want to play white beanie as well. Mm-hmm. So, I not, got, I, yeah. so I got forty tickets and like six playsets or seven places of very of good pop cards for fifteen tickets. I'd say so that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll you'll be ready to you know grind once you have some more time. Yeah, I, I, I'm starting to settle in a little bit, uh, on, uh, the program, on the, on studying, uh, and I'm, I've started finding some free time here and there. Uh, so I played a few dailies, as I, as I told you, and I went 3-1 in both of them. Cool. So that was nice. Uh, I also took this weekend off, pretty much, uh, <laughs> because I had two huge hand-ins, like one, uh, the last Friday and one was today, but I finished that one now. That's pretty cool. It's coming along. Yeah. So I'm, I have a I have a I have a start back bankroll. So I might actually I, I'm looking to buy a modern deck. Oh really? You're, you're yeah. looking into modern? Yeah. I, I looked at a modern. I look like at the prices of five decks, mm-hmm. and those decks were like uh, Valakut decks because they recently unbanned Valakut. Mm-hmm. The red green Tron deck. Uh, the uh, the deck they call Affinity. That plays one card that has affinity. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the artifacts deck. Yeah. I, I, I've heard called robots as well. Robots, okay. Yeah. Uh, infect and then burn. Those are the five decks that I check prices for. Uh, the infect and burn decks are pretty much there for uh, just because they're cheap. Uh, I, I think I'd like the Valakut or Red Green Tron deck, but to my calculations, they cost like 240 tickets for, and 180 tickets each. Whoa. Isn't there a Storm deck in Modern? Yeah, it is, but I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't like Serum Visions. Is I think my main drive with that deck. Oh, uh, I, I don't. I, that wasn't me. But, uh, that deck is good. Really? You have to play it to really get a feel for how good it is. But it I is. Ha- I, I have most of the cards, I think. Yeah, maybe I should. I should maybe I should try it. There's also Splinter Twin. Yeah, yeah, that's another good combo deck. Well, yeah, we'll see. I, I was playing, I was playing yeah. the the Storm deck in a PTQ, and my opponent had double Thorn of Amethyst in play, and I was able to win through it. I'm I'm just gonna add for the if you have any listeners, I don't know if you're recording this or not. Uh, that Thorn of Amethyst does like increases the cost of all non-artifact spells by one to cast, right? Right. I was going to ask what it did, but yeah. Yeah, so each of John's spells costs two more colors to cost. And he still won. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. good. It's yeah. like, it's as if somebody used, um, what is it, echoing bounce on on your goblins in Popper Storm. 
like right. three or four times and you still win and then you good game them. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was fantastic. The, hey, the, funny, right. the funny part about the thorn of, thorn of amethyst uh, situation though was my opponent was playing the thorn of amethyst and it actually shut down their deck because they showed me like a, after the game they had like thought seas and lightning and stuff and they couldn't cast it. <laughs> Wow, yes. kind of kicking himself in the balls. Yeah, but um, I was thinking, yeah, John has shown me some stuff. Like he once uh, sent me, he had the uh, taxing probe with an opponent, and the opponent had like counterspell, dispel, hydroblast, echoing truth, echoing truth, and some other stuff. Like six actual counteractive spells against him, and the opponent had four untapped lands, and John somehow won anyway. And I have no idea how. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lo, so uh, so you have to go now. Yeah, um, I'm sorry I couldn't stay any longer. I really wish I could have. Well, it was it was good to to hear you for a little while. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate it. Yeah, I hope I can join for some other time. We'll okay. see if I can find the time. Yeah, I hope I can. But we'll see how demanding school is in a month or two. All right. Well, take care and happy birthday. Yeah. So happy take care. Birthday. Good luck with the rest of the podcast and have a nice day, guys. Thanks. See you later. Yeah. yeah.